episode of Marriage in a Tightrope. I'm Alan. And I'm Katie, and we're still married. This is an easy episode for me because you sat down and interviewed someone without me. I did, and it was a great interview. This really is for those of you who have asked us for an interview with someone who has never been LDS, who may be married into it, which this person did, and we're excited to share that interview with you. But before we get to that, we have a couple of announcements. We would like to once again tell everybody about our workshop on a tightrope, a six-week online course with Natasha Helfer, all geared towards helping you navigate and fortify your mixed-faith marriage. We have a few spots left to get more information. You can email us, but you can also go to Eventbrite and search for Workshop on a Tightrope. All the details of what we teach are right in there, but Katie, off the top of your head, what are a few of the of the weekly lessons that we talk about. Yeah. So the first week we just go through what is a faith crisis? What does that look like from a clinical point of view? And then we get into the communication part of the presentations where we talk about how we can use the tools that we've learned with communication in order to fortify our mixed faith marriage. We also give out your tightrope in action steps, and you do that weekly with your spouse. And we get into some other things, like we do two weeks on parenting and talking about the tenders, the things that are really difficult to talk about, like garments or baby blessings or a family prayer. It could be any a number of those things. And what we do is we really get in to teach you how to negotiate those tenders. And then we also talk about ecclesiastical leaders and family members. If you haven't come out to them already, how do you do that? So it is a six-week jam-packed course with so much good information, so much clinical knowledge from Natasha, and um, a lot of group discussion, which is very helpful for the other participants. Yeah, that's where the hidden magic is, is these, uh, these other couples that are going through the same exact thing. And you'll see couples with a whole lot of different experiences than you. Some have no kids in the home. Some haven't had kids yet. Uh, so there's many different ages and backgrounds that are that are joining here. And we're, we're loving these courses because we get to rub shoulders with not only Natasha, but, but 25 couples that are, that are just like us in every flawed way possible. And we've also received really phenomenal feedback as to how we can better the course, which we're constantly doing. And also, though, um, good feedback as to how this is really helping people and their marriages and how they're being able to talk about these very difficult conversations that they're either avoiding, uh, they're too tired to talk about, or it's too difficult because the pain is very raw and real and near the surface. So... We have that coming up. It's open right now. We have a few spots left, and we would love to see you in the in the group. You know, for um, a number of couples, we have been able to help them um, through super generous donations to help them pay um, for a half scholarship to, to do this course with us. And there is another couple in need of your donations, and so... Really, you're paying it forward by helping put someone through um, this course and not letting money be a factor into why 
they can't get help. So if you would like to donate to our workshop on a tightrope fund that we help couples um, with so that they can go through the course themselves, you can donate to us through Venmo and you can just earmark it for workshop on a tightrope. And our Venmo account is marriage on a tightrope. And let me tell you, um, in this last group, we've had a number of couples that were gifted um, half scholarship donations, and it has made such a huge difference for them. So we see the difference it's making for them, and we would just really appreciate anyone who would like to donate whatever amount over to us so that we can continue to help um, couples go through this course. Thank you, Katie. And now we hope you and I hope I enjoy the interview with you Anne Buckle. It. I know that I will because she's amazing and you're you're pretty good too. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Katie and I am solo today because I wanted to sit down with one of my good friends to have a conversation about what happens when you are a never Mormon and you marry someone who is Mormon. And I know that, you know, we cater a lot to people who are couples, who one has stepped away from the church and one is still in. But there is a good large amount of people who listen to us who have either never been Mormon and are married to someone who's Mormon. So they are starting their marriage in a mixed faith or um or vice versa they are they are lds and they decide that they want to marry someone outside the faith so i've been like so excited to do this type of interview i've never done it before and i am so happy to sit down with one of the easily one of the most talented and smart people i've ever met and so i'm just going to go ahead and welcome Anne. and welcome to marriage on a tightrope Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm just so excited for you to be here. And I think that we should start out by talking about how you and I got in contact with each other. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to tell that story? Um, sure. Um, so I binge listened through the podcast from probably December of 2019 through like January of 2020. Okay. And so did you find us online? Like, how'd you find us? Yeah. So I think I had Googled, uh, just like resources for, um, people. And I don't even know that I use the term mixed faith marriage, but just inter-religion <laughs> marriage. And I found a host of podcasts online and actually marriage on a tightrope stuck out because for me, the song Tightrope from The Greatest Showman was my song of 2019. I had it on repeat all day, every day. And so when I started you guys' podcast and that song came on, I was like, these are my people. I just knew. <laughs> um, and I was so in love with it. I was so in love with the story that you guys have and all the advice that you had shared. And it really just helped me a lot. So I actually reached out to Alan and Katie via email just to kind of share my story. I don't even know what I was thinking. I just thought like, I just want to share my story. I don't know. And just, I kind of think I thanked you guys for doing the podcast. Like, thank you for having this resource. You're so brave and it is really changing my life in a good way. And then you wrote back. <laughs> and then and I, I, and then like, oh we kept gosh, going, we, we keep going, we kept going back and forth on email, right? Yeah. And then you're like, do you want to do this thing called Marco Polo and like chat in real time video? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then 
we became internet friends. <laughs> <laughs> we were our, we were each other's first internet friends. Yeah. And now you are seriously one of my favorite humans and one of my really close friends. And I've met you in person one time. So it's wild that this whole world has brought us together, but I feel so lucky to be part of your world. Well, I definitely feel that way as well. And I, and I joke that like we have a connection beyond Mormonism because we talk a lot about things that have nothing, nothing. to do with a mixed faith marriage. Um, we're just two friends that live across the world or the country from each other. Yep. So I want to dive into your story and because I think it is very compelling. It's very interesting. I think it's very different from what our listeners have ever um, really been exposed to before. And um, so Tell us a little bit about you. Tell us about where you grew up, um, about what religion you, your parents were, and um, just like take, take us through that. Yeah. Well, I currently live in Nashville, Tennessee with my husband, who is a member of the church, and um, we both are transplants to Nashville. We're both in the music industry. It's our dream to create songs that are meaningful in people's lives. Way before that, I grew up in Peachtree City, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta. I grew up in the Episcopal tradition, which is, we call it like Catholic light because it was like the first church that broke away from the Catholic church in England way back when, um, under some king. And um, I was always very open-minded. A lot of my friends were Methodist, Baptist, um, different based, non-denominational. I had a lot of Jewish friends as well. Um, but yeah, I grew up Episcopalian and does that answer all of your question? I forget what the other part was. Well, yeah, no. Okay. So for those who don't know what Episcopalian means, especially like day-to-day living, like what, what does that look like in your family? Do you go to church every Sunday? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you read the Bible? Yeah, all of those things. So it was going to church every Sunday. I was baptized as a baby. That's part of the tradition like the Catholics do. And, um, I was actually confirmed when I was 12 or 13, which is when you kind of go through a series of classes to reaffirm the things that you were kind of, um, I guess, baptized into when you were a baby and didn't know. So it's kind of like the, the, um, emotional and spiritual side of the baptism when you're a little bit older, but yeah, church every Sunday was about the extent of it. I was in the church choir. Um, it's Bible based faith and, And were your parents, did they bring you up in like the church setting? Did you, I mean, is it, you talked a lot about values or, I mean, tell me about like how your parents raised you as far as like church goes. Yeah. So my mom had grown up non-denominational Christian in the hills of Appalachia. And um, I think they like went to church barefoot with their dogs. (laughs) (laughs) She was saved at a revival. She's once been. Um, but then my dad grew up like very straight laced, like Episcopalian, you go to church, you have the priest. And so she actually converted to Episcopalianism when they were married so that they could get married in that faith. And um, they did, gr- we grew up very traditional Episcopalian. So you go to church once a week. Um, we did pray before meals pretty much all the time as a family. Um, but beyond that, my spiritual growth was kind of up to me. Um my parents weren't pushy in any way. I mean, I went to church. That wasn't a choice, but um, they just kind of let me develop my own ideas as a kid. 
And so um, as you go through like your teenage years and I feel like, you know, you just go through the motions. There's so many other things you're like focused on, right? When you're a teenager with boys and, and yeah. dating. Yeah. Like what, what's dating like in Georgia? Like, do you date, do you need to date like other Episcopalians? Not even a little bit that, I mean, you just date whoever you like. And what's funny about this is that my first boyfriend ever was when I was, let's see, 16. I was pretty old, I guess, for some people's standards. When I was 16, he was also my first kiss, um, just FYI. But um, he was Mormon. And I didn't know anything about Mormons. I mean, I had heard the term because we have a large, like, Mormon church in the center of our town. But um, I didn't know anything about it. In my mind, it was just, okay, like, I'm Episcopalian, you're Mormon, cool. So we started dating. And we went on three dates. And actually, on the third date, he said, um, so it's like really great dating you. Like he was a choir boy too. So we were like music nerds and he's like, it's been so great dating you, but my parents are pretty conservative and I need to go on a date with somebody from church and then we can go on three more dates. But every three dates, like I'm going to have to go on a date with someone from church. So things don't get too serious between us. And I was like, what the heck? Like, this is really strange. Um, because again, I knew nothing about the faith. I didn't, I mean, I was just clueless. So I broke up with him. Cause I was like, no, that's weird. Like, and in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to meet my high school sweetheart, and we're going to get married. So that wasn't going to work for me. So we ended things amicably, but I was just like, that's super bizarre. And that's really all I learned about the church from him. <laughs> was there really anything, but... He had to space out the, the types of religions that he could date. <laughs> yeah, it was wow. super strange. And then um, my next boyfriend in high school was my senior year for a full year, and he was Catholic, and he was a great guy. I had really sweet boyfriends in high school, I will say. Well, you're a very sweet girl. I mean, obviously, <laughs> Mormons are attracted to you. I'm attracted to you, but not in that <laughs> same way. <laughs> but there's a reason. You just have such a such a fun, light, and spirit. Well, um, so after high school, you move on to college. And so tell us a little bit about your college years. Tell us how you may be changing spiritually or how your faith journey is going while you're gone away. Yeah. So a lot of things happened in college for me. Uh, so I went to the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, which was out of state and had a whole new set of people that I was around. I was a music major. And as a vocal music major, pretty much all the guys I encountered were gay. And I had never been exposed to that in my small little town in Georgia that was very conservative. And that was probably one of the first times that my faith started to kind of be challenged, I guess, because I had been taught through my upbringing with my parents and in a conservative town and an Episcopalian faith, like at the time, very um, conservative values. And so here I am with all these new fabulous gay friends who are like my best friends. And I started to question, I think before I had always been told by my church and by my parents and whoever else in my town, you know, hate the sinner or hate the sin, not the sinner. And all these different, maybe hate's a strong word, but basically like condemning the sin, but the person we still love. And that's kind of the mindset I had. But then as I had all these wonderful gay friends, I started to kind of question it. And I was like, well, what's so bad about it? And why is that tied into my faith? And so I really started reexamining my entire belief system. And in college, I was fortunate enough to be part of a campus ministry that was Episcopalian. And, um, it was a lot of really open-minded, smart, loving people. And as part of that, one of the big times my my kind of value in, on that 
issue was challenged was with another music major friend of mine and we were debating in a really loving way, but like the homosexual issue and we were back and forth and I was saying, well, I get that. I love you as a person, but it's wrong or whatever. And he's like, well, let me give you this perspective. Cause I think I said like, if it's okay to be homosexual, like how come it's not like natural with my air quotes? Like it's, you can't reproduce with it. Like that's, it's not like part of nature. It isn't, I don't know. And he goes, well, what if God created homosexuality as a way to control an expanding population? And I was like, mind blown. Like, what if it is part of God's plan? And that whole concept and the question that he asked me just made me start to open my mind about every other issue I had and every other belief I had. I started questioning them in a different way and seeing God as bigger than the person that I kind of imagined him to be in my mind, which was this man in the sky. Now I kind of just, I don't know, it opened up all of my ideas about things And then even further along into college, at the end of college, when I was graduating, um, one of my best friends through college, um, who actually always pretended to have a crush on me, and I thought he was straight, um, he was the most spiritual guy I knew. His dream was to be an Episcopal priest in life. And when you're becoming an Episcopal priest, you um, have to go through a discernment process um, where you have all these like questions you're asked, and you meet with priests, and you really just decide if it's right for you or not. And as part of that, like he had always hidden his homosexuality his whole life because he was so afraid that if he came out, he wouldn't be able to be a priest. But as part of that, he realized he had this come to Jesus moment, literally, where he's like, I'm not honoring the person I was created to be if I don't open up about being homosexual. So he did. And they actually accepted him into becoming a priest in spite of that. And he told me at the end of college at graduation, hey, Anne, I'm gay. Just want you to know. And immediately, any of the questions that I had had my whole college back and forth, is it right? Is it wrong? They went away. Because I was like, wow, if this person who is the most spiritual, loving person that I know is gay, it's okay. And I'm not trying to make my whole episode about that issue. But I think that for me was a moment where a lot of my views I was brought up with were changed. And I realized that it was okay if my views changed over time and it was okay if my belief shifted away from what my parents taught me and what my church taught me and that I had a right to my own spiritual growth and my own ideas. Wow. Which I could see that, um, that doing two things, one opening your heart to maybe a Mormon, right? (laughs) Mormon, a Mormon guy in the future, like being more open, open open-minded about it, but also that there, it's a kind of a double-edged sword because you know a lot of what the Mormon teachings are and especially yeah. with with people in the LGBTQ community so um I want to I want to I do want to get to that but I let's I think that that is um really neat to hear uh how the connection with with some people can help you um realize that we're all in this together, you know, there's a lot of love. Yeah. And building onto that as part of college, I had also studied abroad in France for almost a year in total with internships and the French are Catholic, but they're not. I met more atheists than I've ever been exposed to in my life. And so I just saw all these new ideas and I went on to graduate school at Harvard and at Harvard, I, um, one of my like teaching assistants that worked in our classes, he was the president of like the humanist atheist foundation <laughs> and all about being good and doing good just for the sake of morals and not tied to any religious things. So all of my values and beliefs were shaken up and I was exposed to so many ideas and it really forced me to decide what are the things that I care about. Which 
I mean, what were some of those things first and foremost? Yeah, I think for me, there's actually three scriptures that all kind of tie it together. One is the uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, which is just Jesus's moral teachings. All the things that Jesus tells you to do to be a good human, I've always tried to be Christ-like. And um, the second is Philippians 4, 8, which is all about, um, actually, I have it on a shirt, so I should like, grab my shirt so I can recite it. properly, (laughs) but it's whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about such things. Um, so positivity and just like keeping your mind in a good space. And the third is the Corinthians verse on love, which was read at our wedding actually, but just my faith morphed from being something that I thought was very specific to more open about whatever love is, is God and whatever love isn't isn't God. So that's where I kind of arrived after college and graduate school and all my times meeting a bunch of different people and being exposed to new ideas. Yeah. And that, um, furthered when you got to Nashville. So how do you go from being a Harvard grad to Nashville doing music? You want to bridge that gap for us? Yeah. So my dream was always to be Um, a singer songwriter my whole life. I grew up in a musical family. My great, great aunts and uncles were AP, Sarah and Maybelle Carter of the Carter family. If anybody knows American country music, you know that they were some of the first acts on radio in the 1920s. And um, you may not know them, but they're one of the daughters of Maybelle was June Carter Cash, who married Johnny Cash. So if you know that clan, that's my family. And so I grew up as a kid in the hills of Appalachia, learning all this music and wanting to be in music. And at the same time, my parents were both school teachers. So I excelled in school and they were all about going to college and going to graduate school and getting all your education. So as soon as I got all my education that was kind of required from my parents and from myself, I made the move to Nashville to chase my dreams in the music industry. And then that you mentioned before that that's how you met your husband. So tell us about that. So he is from Seattle and he's also in the music industry. And we happened to move to Nashville in the same year, 2012, the stars just aligned. We didn't know each other yet, but we both transplanted. I was coming from Boston, just finishing my master's and he was coming from Seattle. And we actually met in 2014. So two years after both of us had been in town and we met in the recording studio. So cliche. (laughs) Okay. But most people don't know what that means. Like most people don't have any knowledge of how cliche a recording (laughs) studio is. So um, are you the one singing and he's behind the glass looking at you? That's exactly how it happened. Really? Exactly how it happened. And actually, when we first met, it was like January. My producer that was working on my first record with me was a good friend of his. And so we went over to his studio to do part of the album. And um, my producer said, you really should get in with him. He's starting a record label. He's a really great writer. He's a great producer. Um, You should try to get a co-write set up with him, which a lot of people do that to meet people anyway. But when I saw him, I was like, this guy's really cute. I really want to (laughs) just like have a co-write with him. More air quotes going on that Katie can see. Um, And so I actually reached out to him and asked if we could co-write. And he goes, after he goes, hey, it was really great to meet you. Great session. Love your album. I'm really busy right now, but reach back out in three to four months. <laughs> wow. That's like, that so offended, like and I never reached back out again. And then he actually reached out in the summer and that's when we started dating, but it, it was a really funny start. So wait, did he reach out because he wanted to date you again? I mean, is that why he re- reached out to you? 
Yes. So that summer he had just bought a boat and um, he reached out and said, Hey, I just bought a boat. Do you want to come out on my boat with me? <laughs> and I, he might be so embarrassed. I think he would just be proud. But the first time I went out with him on his boat, it was me and like eight other girls and just him. And I was like, who the heck is this guy? I thought I was on The Bachelor. And what's funny about that. He wasn't wearing that a gold did. chain around his neck. <laughs> it was so strange. And I had just auditioned to be on The Bachelor. And I was on their shortlist for like the girls coming from Nashville. It was Chris Soul season. I didn't know that yet or I would not have been interested. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, it it was really funny. I was like, this is what it would feel like if I go on The Bachelor. Good practice. Okay. But good practice. So why did he invite the other girls? I still have no clue. And he denies it. He's like, oh, there were guys on the boat too. No, there weren't. No, there weren't. But um, I had a super fun day. And um, after that, he like said, hey, I really want to get together one-on-one. You want to go on a date? And we did. And now we're married all these years later. <laughs> okay. So I want to know, like, at what at what point did he say to you, by the way, I'm Mormon. Yeah. Is that a problem? So it's really funny. So we started dating and just within probably the first three dates, I had completely fallen for this guy. Um, actually that day on the boat, there was this like redneck out in the middle of the lake on a fishing boat, like drowning. His boat was sinking and he was drowning. And he was like, man, man, can you pull me in? Can you reel me into the dock or whatever? And in my mind, I was like, no way, like go call 911 and send somebody out here. But Brandon went and got him and towed him on the back of his boat, kind of risking his own boat and all of us, but to help this guy. And um, the guy ended up like his boat sank at the dock and then he like swam away. He didn't even say thank you. But I remember just feeling this huge emotion in my heart of, oh my gosh, this is a really good guy. Like the fact that he would save a stranger drowning in the middle of a lake risking his own brand new boat in the process. I don't know. It just, that sounds probably really silly, but to me, it said a lot about his character. And within the first couple of dates, I was, I was just so drawn to him. And I think I journaled the word magnetic pull. I just kept feeling the soul to soul, like magnetism that we had. And I didn't know where it was going to go. I had been through a really bad breakup in college that I thought was going to be my forever person. And it wasn't. So I was kind of skeptical to any relationship at this point, but I was open to it. And to answer your question, I, Katie knows I talk so much so I got on these tangents. Um, but to answer your question, it was probably, so we started dating in June um, of 2014 and let's see, it was probably August or September. One night we were just sitting around watching TV and he goes, Hey, what would you say if I told you I was Muslim? And I was like, are you? <laughs> and he goes, no, but I'm Mormon. And I don't know if that was like a way for him to break the ice. Cause he was like, kind of embarrassed I don't really know why he brought it up what is the way? most orthodox religion I can say <laughs> and then what exactly. I am one step up from that that's what he <laughs> thought <laughs> you know what I bet you're right at the time I was like oh okay so when he said Mormon my brain went back to my high school first boyfriend first kiss and I was like oh the three date guy and I was like but we've already been dating for like three months so I guess he doesn't feel that way and I was like I think my response was literally okay cool I'm Episcopalian and then that was it. There was no more talk about it. I quite honestly knew nothing about it. And I don't know why, but I didn't care to. That sounds really bad. I didn't really care to know about it because we were just in that like happy initial dating phase. So I didn't think much about it at that point. 
So when it started to get real, did you, did he take you to church? Did you take the missionary? Like what, like, how were you introduced to Mormonism at that point? Yeah. So the story continues. So that was probably three months in Christmas of that year. So about six months into dating, he invited me to go home to meet his family in Seattle, which to me was a pretty big deal. And in my mind and my Southern conservative ways, I always kind of imagine you date somebody for two years and you get engaged. And during that two years, you get to know each other's families and friends. And, um, I've since learned in like LDS religion, a lot of people get married real quickly. (laughs) within just a couple of months or a couple of weeks of knowing each other in some cases. Um, But anyway, so six months in, I think he felt I should introduce her to my family, which I thought was a big step. So I went home to Seattle with him that Christmas, met his family, absolutely loved all of them, Um, went to church with them. And I found it to be very similar to a lot of the, you know, songs and everything we did at my church. And I was just pretty cool with everything. Um, One of his sisters was getting married in January and she invited me to her wedding in Utah, but I didn't go because I was like, it's still a little early. I don't want to do that. But um, when Brandon came back from that wedding, um, this is when my world kind of started. Uh, I, I don't want to say crashing because it didn't crash, but this is when it all started happening for me. So when he got back from the wedding, I said, how was your sister's wedding? Was it awesome? He's like, yeah, it was beautiful. It was great. I was like, so were you a groomsman? And he said, well, we don't really do groomsmen in Mormon weddings. And I was like, wait you don't do like bridesmaids or groomsmen. Cause in my tradition, you always have like six bridesmaids, six groomsmen. You're in the church. You have the, the preacher, you have the reception. And he said, well, actually Mormon weddings are pretty different than non-Mormon weddings. And I was like, what? <laughs> I had no clue. And he goes, well, we actually go to a temple. I was like, what's a temple. And then he's like, and then inside the temple, you go to a sealing ceremony and it's this special ceremony that seals you for all time and eternity. And it's like different than just, a normal wedding if it doesn't happen in the temple. And I was like, huh, <laughs> what, the, what are you talking about? And um, I, I do remember saying, well, is that something that you want to have? Like, is that important to you to have a temple wedding like in the future? And he's like, yeah, it's really important to me. So in my mind, we were still so new in our relationship. I didn't ask a lot of questions, but then I got on Google the next day, if not that same night till like 4 a.m., And I went on my rabbit hole of learning everything I could about the church because I was like, clearly there's some differences here that I wasn't aware of. And I researched everything from the Book of Mormon to learning that there's a lot more than just the Book of Mormon. There's the DNC, there's the Pearl of Great Price, there's all these prophecies from all these prophets of all these years. There's, you know, it's not just a label like Episcopalian where you just go to the local church and that's it and you can marry whoever, it doesn't really matter. There's a lot of things that really do matter and it's very ritualistic and I spent the next year probably diving into my own educational spiritual journey to see what the church was all about. And eventually I realized that if you wanted to marry someone in the church, you had to be part of the church. That was kind of a non-negotiable. And I decided that I needed to figure out if that was true for me and okay for me or not. So that was that whole next year. And during that time to go back to your other question, I did meet with missionaries I went to Institute on Thursday nights with a few of my Mormon friends in Nashville. I actually didn't tell Brandon about any of this, which I think he knows about it now. Hopefully he does, but I just was on my own journey. I didn't really want it to be dependent on him. I wanted to learn about it as best I could and to see if it was right for me. And I think to your point of my heart and my mind being open in college, I was so open to anything because for me, I have been um, a seeker of truth my whole life. I want to know what's true and I want to do what's true and what's right and what's good. And if it's true, absolutely bring me into it. 
Um, what aspects of the Mormon faith, when you were like learning about it, or what, what were some of the things that you actually really liked about it? Yeah. So one of the things that I loved and I still do is the community. The people were living love. Whereas in my church where I grew up, not to throw them under the bus, but a lot of times you go to church on Sunday and then you live your life and that's it. And you see people at church and that's it. Whereas in the Mormon faith, I mean, Brandon's parents both were um, in big leadership positions in their home ward and they were always bringing food to people and helping people and praying with people and doing anything they could for the community. And I saw that in Nashville as well with the people that I was hanging out with in the church. And I loved that. I also loved how spiritual people were. The prayer was constant. The blessings were really special. There were so much value to so many aspects of it. In fact, um, I think about a year after all that went down, I was out in Utah with Brandon and his family, and we all went to general conference together in Salt Lake. They took me. I don't know if they were like trying to get me. (laughs) I don't really know why I was invited, but I went and I really enjoyed it. And there was a talk I heard by a man named Patrick Kieran that talked about the refugee crisis worldwide. And it so moved me that I went back to Nashville and started a nonprofit that works with refugees. Um, It's called Three Chords, and it teaches songwriting to refugee teens in town. So um, the, the whole love and action thing I was all about, and I still am. I love that about the church. Oh, I didn't know that you had started your own nonprofit. That's incredible. Yeah. Very rewarding too. You're putting your talents to use to help other people. That's amazing. Um, so what you're telling me is, is you got baptized, right? Absolutely not. (laughs) So at what point did you realize this isn't for me? And then what was the conversation with your husband? Yeah, it's funny. There had been a couple of times when I mentioned a couple of things and Brandon would always say, why don't you go refer to the LDS website? It's a great resource. (laughs) So I referred to the website a lot. And actually there was um, a a moment I'll never forget that was, um, so this year long journey that I went through learning everything I could reading the Book of Mormon as much of it as I could (laughs) getting through all these different things. At the end of the year, I was driving home to Georgia for the holidays, and I had on some YouTube video just talking about all the different things in the faith and just diving in more and more, and there were a couple of things that really didn't sit well with me, and I don't think I need to go into the specifics. I don't even know that I remember what they were, but there were a couple of things that I just felt like, you know what? I think parts of this are wonderful and true, but parts of it aren't all the way true for me. And they don't feel like something that I would naturally do if it weren't for this guy that I'm like dating that I know it's important for. And so when I got home, I actually got on the chat for LDS.org. At the time they had a little chat. I don't know if they still do. And I asked, I was like, Hey, I'm an Episcopalian dating Mormon. We've been together for a year and a half. Um, I really want to marry him. Does that work out ever? You know? And my response that I got was, no, it's really not advised for a non-member to marry a member because we have extremely high standards that most people can't live up to. (laughs) And I was, who is on the other side of this chat? I don't know, but I was so offended. I shut my computer. I was like, standards, what do you mean? I hardly do any of the things you're supposed to like. I don't curse. I don't drink. I don't do this. I don't do that. I live my best life. I was so offended So I was like, okay, I'm not going to go to the church website anymore. I'm going to go to him directly. So that January, we had a conversation that was probably our first real in-depth conversation and only one since the time when I kind of learned that he wanted a temple wedding and that I kind of learned on my own, I would need to be Mormon for that to happen. 
So I came to him and I said, Brandon, I have been doing a lot of research on the church. I've been going, you know, meeting with missionaries, going to Institute. It's not something that I would do just out of my own heart. Like it's not something that I feel I need to convert to. However, I love you so much. I want to be with you. I want to marry you. And I would do it culturally um, to be able to marry you, to make your family happy, to make you feel comfortable and happy, to have the eternal marriage that we can have. I would do it. And for me, it felt like if anybody's watched Sex in the City out there, um, Charlotte converts to Judaism from Episcopalianism (laughs) because her husband requires that. And also more trashy TV, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, Kyle Richards converted from Catholicism to Judaism to Mary Maurizio, in case you didn't know that. So for me, it, it felt true to me, but it felt true to me to say, I'm doing it for this reason. There are parts of it I'm 100% on board with, and there are parts of it that I'm never going to you know, agree with or be on board with. And his response was, well, I don't want you to do that. I would never want you to convert if it wasn't something you wanted to do outside of me. And I said, well, I'm never going to want to convert outside of you. Or I was like, maybe in the, never is maybe the wrong word. I think I said, I'm open to it in the future, but at this point in my life, like, I, I just can't do that. And I remember he's like, okay. And I was like, well, what does this mean? It felt like a breakup to me. Like, this is going to be the end. And in fact, the next day I went over to, um, my good friend's house, who's a counselor. (laughs) And I just cried all day and I talked to her about it. And she was like, you know what? Religion's one of those tricky things where if you both aren't open-minded enough, if somebody has a really strict uh, doctrine and like, and you don't, it's probably not going to work out. It's just one of those areas where you have to both be open-minded. And I bawled my eyes out and I kind of was resolved to the fact that after a year and a half, our relationship was over. And that day I had to go over to his studio. Actually, I can't remember what it was that I had left something there and I needed it. And I actually didn't even want to see him because I knew we were going to break up. And I was so devastated and wanted a couple of days to like get myself together before we had the actual breakup talk. And I went over there and he kind of like chased me down like a little dog. And he like grabbed me and gave me a big bear hug. And I was like, why is this guy hugging me? We're about to break up. (laughs) Um, And he was like, Hey, I just want you to know, I love you so much. I think you're so amazing and you're so wonderful and you have such a great heart. And I actually talked to my mom earlier today and I was like, okay. And he's like, well, I had this really long talk with her and my family loves you. They think you're wonderful. Like, and I love you. And I think some of the things that I said last night, I don't actually believe. And I was like, uh, okay. (laughs) I didn't even think I asked like, well, I was just like, well, I'm so confused. And he's like, I just love you. And I like, you make me a better person. And I can't imagine not having in my life. And I was like, I guess we're not breaking up. So I just kind of like, let it rest. We didn't break up. And I took that as my sign that like, maybe he was open to me not being Mormon. So that was kind of the next phase in our religious discussions, I guess, as a couple. And I can absolutely see why his family loves you is because you are, I, I, when I think of like people that are more Christian than me, I'm like, Oh gosh, Anne, Anne is way more Christian than I am. Um, because there are so many good people out there that not even maybe even are Christian, but just good heart, good values, um, good people out there. And so, um, I mean, so cool that he was able to separate that from you know, um, so much of what we're told as Mormons is to marry and date other Mormons. Yeah. And And it's funny because I, 
I stayed super open to everything, but we didn't really like talk about it much. Like we didn't talk about the fact that I wasn't Mormon. I just tried to like, for me, living your life in a loving way and like your love in action, I think is the best description of my religious philosophy, like showing love. That's what I just kept doing to him and his family and everybody in my life. And I just kept hoping like love has to be like, that's the point. Like God wants us, that's the center of everything in our lives. And for a religion or a ritual or something to break up love would be so heartbreaking to me because that's like the opposite of love or of religion, you know, and I don't know. So we all know that, as you said, his family loved you. How, what did your parents think or feel, or did they know anything about Mormons? There are a lot of really negative stereotypes about Mormons. And in fact, me and learning about all of the church and seeing so many wonderful, wonderful people and qualities, um, it really bugged me at that point when I would hear people in my own church back home, someone would say, Hey, I hear you're dating a Mormon and like, they're not Christian. And I hated that. I was like, Oh my gosh, like Jesus Christ is like the foundation of their faith. Like, of course they're Christian. They just have different theological views. Everybody is entitled to their own theological view of what happens after this life and how you get there. And, um, I actually started like defending Mormonism, <laughs> which is really funny. Um, my parents never really talked about it, but my parents are very much of a generation that doesn't talk about hard things. And, um, they don't even know this podcast exists. They'd probably be mortified if they heard me talking on it, (laughs) that's okay. Um, so we never talked about it, but I did find out later after I was married that they had talked to a couple of my friends about their concerns that I was dating a Mormon, which is really funny because they never talked to me about those concerns. Um, but I think what's been really beautiful, fast forwarding several years with them getting to know Brandon's family, they are so spiritual and so wonderful. And my parents adore them. And I think it's opened their minds to seeing, you know what, maybe our way isn't the only way. And maybe there are other people in other faiths that um, are just as righteous and just as worthy of everything that we are, you know? And for me, I had friends from all over the world, having been at Harvard and having traveled so much. And I have Muslim friends and I have Hindu friends and I have all these different types of people. And I learned that lesson years and years ago, but I don't think my parents really ever have been around people different than them. And so you felt like, um, this exposure to your now husband has probably been very positive on the relationship. Absolutely. It has. Yeah. Um, so you have a regular, I mean, what type of wedding do you have? Do you have like a super like princess wedding that you wanted, you know, (laughs) and, and do you like, did a Bishop marry you? How does that happen? Yeah. I I can't wait to talk about our wedding. I'll back it up just a little bit to kind of get to how the proposal and everything. So after that, so we had had like the one big conversation six months into our relationship, which was about the temple wedding when I was like, okay, I got to learn about the faith. Then a year later is when we had the conversation where I said, I'll convert, but it's cultural. And you have to know that's where my heart is. And he said, well, I don't want that. But then his mom said, we love her. Don't bring up with her, whatever. So then we didn't talk about anything faith-wise for the next literally year and a half. It was like, I mean, maybe it was two years. It was a while. And in the summer of 2017, I started noticing, so this is at this point for anybody out there who's dating a Mormon and you're thinking like, when's, when's this all going to happen? Whatever. This was 
am I doing the math right? Three years into us dating, which for me was already a year past when I wanted to be engaged. So I was like starting to get a little impatient, but I also was really focused on my career, loving life, loving Brandon and wanting to just give him space and time to feel me out as well as a partner. But that summer I started noticing some changes in the way he treated me. Um, He was always a great guy, um, but he was kind of like the fun boyfriend and he started becoming like a really loving boyfriend. And I felt like he really started caring about my happiness and my well-being and I don't know he just matured in our relationship in a way that was kind of like unexpected and I didn't ask for it or anything but I noticed a change but he didn't say anything so all of that fall of 2017 I started getting a little restless I was like okay everything with us is great but like we're not having any conversations I was a little scared to bring it up I think because I didn't want the answer of you're not Mormon I can't marry you so I think I just kept deferring it but I got to a point, um, January of 2018 was my birthday and I was taking a trip to Paris to commemorate my 10 year anniversary when I had lived there. And I had told a couple of girlfriends, uh, he was coming with me on the trip and I was like, you know what, this would be an ideal time for him to propose, but we have never talked about engagement. We haven't talked about marriage. I have no clue what's happening. And I was like, quite honestly, like marriage is really important to me. I want to get married. Eventually I want to have a family and my clock is ticking. So like, it's going to be this guy or it's going to need to be someone else. I loved him. I wanted it to be him, but I also kept my mind open knowing that like, there's a possibility I wouldn't be right for him because I didn't fit the the boxes that needed to be checked. But I told my girlfriends, I don't know that Brandon knows this either. I told them, I was like, when we get back from France after my birthday, before Valentine's Day, if I haven't, we haven't talked about engagement, I'm, it's ultimatum time. Like we're either going to get married or we're breaking up. Like there's no more in between. I can't wait any longer. And I wasn't angry about it. I was just like, this is my time. So then he actually proposed in Paris. I had no clue it was happening. And I was so caught off guard, actually, even though I hoped for it, I was so caught off guard that when he asked me, I like didn't have the best, most excited reaction because in my mind, all the conversations about Mormonism came back in my head. And I was like, we never resolved anything. I'm not Mormon. He still is. What's the expectation? If I don't convert, are we going to break off an engagement? That would be devastating. And so um, we actually ended up spending our entire like eight hour flight across the Atlantic home talking about every single issue. And I like, because he was like, it was really sad. He was like, I feel like you weren't that happy when I asked you to marry you. Like, are you sure you want to marry me? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm 110% sure. But I have some reservations because do you want to marry me? Like, I'm not Mormon. You know that, right? And he's like, no, I know that. And so then in that conversation, I revealed the things that I wasn't really okay with, with the church. I revealed the things that I loved about the church. I revealed that I was open to anything in the future, church, no church, Episcopal, whatever we were going to become. And then I also heard his side of the story. So going back to the summer before when I had noticed a change in him, apparently he had had a conversation with his parents about that time about me. And I didn't know, but this entire time we had been dating, I think the conversations about me were pretty um, unanimously in the family. We love Anne, but she's not Mormon. We love Anne. When is she going to become Mormon? I, I think that that was kind of like a subtle expectation. And they actually all kind of had this sit down that summer, I guess, where they said, you know what? She kind of like what you're saying, Katie, she has like the more characteristics that are more Christ-like and more what we strive for than probably 99% of the Mormon girls you could find out in Utah, you know, or whatever. And like, 
maybe she doesn't have the label, but we love her. We love her heart. We know that like she has God in her and that's what matters. So they actually came to that with him. And then it was Christmas time when he decided he was going to propose. And he said it, it, he told me later it hit him like very divinely. He just had this like prompting and this strong feeling that I was the girl who's supposed to be his wife. And that no matter what my faith is, didn't matter at that point. He knew that it was just supposed to happen that way. But he didn't tell me any of those things. So I didn't know that they were okay with me. I didn't know that he was okay with it. And then after the plane ride, I did know that we were okay. And it's a conversation that had been building up, I think, for years, which sounds really crazy to say that now because we talk about anything. But um, at the time, it took a while to get to that conversation. And I think we both had to come to our own individual spiritual like realizations on the issue. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That would have been, I mean... Uh, I mean, I can just see how fearful you would be like thinking, is he expecting me to join this church now that we're engaged? Yeah. (laughs) And how neat that his family, the advice was that they loved you and you should move forward with the relationship. I mean, I think it's incredible. And I think it showed um, that love really does win in the end. And that like, beyond all of the religious, you know, doctrine and things you're supposed to do, like love wins. And that's, I think what Christ would want. What, what do you think has given you, um, confidence that your marriage could work being from two completely different backgrounds? Your podcast? Um, (laughs) (laughs) well, but especially like in the beginning, you know, were you worried about that? Yeah. You know what, when we started planning the wedding, so going back to your wedding question, when we started planning the wedding, it was interesting. So I, my, going back to my gay priest friend from college, I always just knew he would marry me. And so I went ahead, I didn't even ask Brandon. I just started talking to him, setting up, like, you're going to marry us. You're going to be our priest. I don't know where it's going to be yet, but, um, we're going to do an Episcopal thing. And then I, brought it up to Brandon. Hey, I called my friend. He's going to be our priest. And he's like, wait, we're doing an Episcopal ceremony. He's like, I don't know that I'm really comfortable with that. Like, that's pretty far out of my comfort zone. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what do we want to do? And so we ended up kind of deciding on more of a like neutral um, secular ceremony that had elements of all of our traditions. So we actually got married at the Country Music Hall of Fame, downtown Nashville, which was fitting because we both are in the music industry. My family, the Carter family is on the wall in there. And a lot of the people on that side of my family passed away. So it kind of honored their memory and their spirit. We had my uncle who is a Baptist preacher do the ceremony. And he's just a real cool old Southern guy with a, his name's uncle Bernie. He's got a great accent when he talks. And, um, I wrote the ceremony based on some stuff I found on the internet. Um, and then I had one of his sisters do a reading by Elder Holland. That was a beautiful talk on marriage. I had my gay priest Episcopal friend do an Episcopal prayer. I had a friend who's really talented poet um, write a poem for us. Um, I had an atheist friend read First Corinthians chapter 13, <laughs> which was really amazing. So we just m- melded together all these different traditions and I think it was uniquely and beautifully us. Um, his dad did our prayer over the food at the dinner time, and I thought that was really beautiful. So we tried to combine a little bit of everything. And um, all that to say, I was still and still am open to any time in the future. If Brandon were to say, you know what, it is really important to me to get a temple ceiling, um, like I would be open to all of that. I, I've never closed my mind to anything and I don't think he has either. And I think that's one of the reasons that it's worked really well between us and it continues to because we both 
we're not rigid in our views and we always want to grow better and smarter and wiser. And so if we get new information that changes the way we feel, we'll absolutely move in a different direction. Yeah. You know, that's so much of, of just marriage, right? You pivot when you need to change things up. Um, I think with um, any, any marriage, even those who are starting out on the same, in the same religion, there's, there's still things that you're like, wait, you do it this way. I do it this way. Was there any of that um, that you hadn't already sussed out because you'd been together for a while before you got married, right? Yeah, there was a lot of that. I think especially when you start living together, we did never live together before we were married. Um, He moved into my little tiny condo downtown Nashville. So we had to figure out how to get along with different things. And I think we're still figuring that out. Um, But in terms of spiritual stuff, I feel like we can always kind of find the same page, even if we feel a little differently. There are some things that I think he still feels certain ways about that I maybe don't. Um, and I'm a little bit more open and more liberal and, um, he's okay with that. Cause he knows that it's always with a really good intent. I never, you know, have a bad intent when I'm exploring a different religious philosophy or reading the history of the Mormon church. I'm always doing it just to learn and to find more truth. And he knows that. Yeah. And, you don't have any kids yet. No kids. <laughs> um, but does it make you nervous about how you're going to negotiate how to raise children in the future? Yeah, I think I used to be a little more nervous. We So for our honeymoon, we actually deferred for six months. And last, so we've been married about a year and a half now. But last summer, um, we did this big trip around the world. And we went around the world in 30 days, literally. And one of the stops that we made was to Egypt, where we saw pyramids and all this ancient stuff. And it was interesting because one of the, um, the things we heard from our tour guide was about like the Pharaoh that was King Tut's dad had, um, literally changed the religion in Egypt. Like there were all these gods they had, and he just told the people they're no longer the gods. Here are our new gods. <laughs> and he like changed things. And the priests were really upset with him. So when he died, they tried to erase him from history and restore all the old gods. And Brandon and I had this really interesting conversation that evening on the Nile on a cruise. It was insane, but, <laughs> um, where we were just like, how crazy that one leader would just like change a religion and then it gets changed back. And he's like, you know, there's just a lot we don't know. And then he's like, how are we supposed to ever like raise kids in this environment when we don't have one specific things and how do you teach them morals? And I said, you know what? I don't really know, but I know we can figure it out. And that's kind of where we left that. So I'm open to them going to primary. I love, he still sings all the little songs that he knows when he's little. I know like half of them cause I'll just sing them silly, you know, being silly sometimes. And, um, I'm open to them going. I'm open to doing more home church type stuff. Um, I love the stuff Alan's doing too, like learning how to kind of just incorporate other things like meditation and mindfulness. So yeah, I I don't think there's any roadmap for how we're going to raise kids, but we'll just create our own as we go. What advice would you give those of um, our listeners who are listening and are either in a marriage where they are not LDS and their spouses, or um, they're dating someone or they're looking to marry someone um, who's not a member, right? Because there's lots of probably members who um, are listening to this and they're, they're married to a non-member. So what, what best pieces of advice do you have that you can give to them? Yeah, I hope these are good. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think from my husband's perspective as well. From my perspective, 
I think had I not had a really open mind already, probably coming from a lot of my experiences and diving into my faith earlier on, I don't know that it would have worked. I might've been really scared of a lot of the traditions and a lot of the beliefs, but I had a really open mind. I was never closed off to it. I never criticized it ever. I still don't criticize it. Um, even if I disagree, I just think, oh, I don't think that way. And that's okay. I respect it. I, I respect the heck out of his family and what they believe. And when I'm around them, I am so happy to go to church with them and to do all the things. And I, I love to support them. So that would be my advice from my perspective and also um, patience on my part. I didn't ever want to change him. I guess I, I wanted the situation to work out, but I never wanted him to be different than who he was. And if that meant that I wasn't going to be able to be with him, I kind of accepted that potential negative consequence. And um, I'm a songwriter, so I'm used to being sad and sitting in my feelings and writing them out. So I wrote a lot of songs about just like loss and heartbreak. And I think you have to kind of be open to the idea that it might not work out as sad as that sounds. Um, because you don't ever want to change a person. and from his perspective, he went through, I think, an immense amount of personal growth going from thinking he had to have it a certain way. And he's told me now, you know, I dated so many Mormon girls and they were all just okay. Like not, I mean, there's great Mormon girls, there too, but, but he's like, when I got to you, it was like, you made me better and you pushed me every day to be my best. And you loved me unconditionally for who I was. Like I could show you every part of me and you still loved me. And I didn't have to pretend to be someone I wasn't. And I know he values that in me and it kind of took him peeling back different layers of the onion to see my heart and realize that like, it's just as good as someone's heart who's in the church. And I think that was a stereotype that he had to really overcome. And I think that'd be his advice to anyone who's, you know, a member struggling with this is like really peel back and see the person's heart and see if it's a heart that matches yours. And it's going to push you to be your best self. And even if they're not in your, in your faith, they may challenge you to be better in your faith because of it. And yeah. Oh gosh, that's beautiful advice because I think that that doesn't just apply to anyone who is with someone that is, has never been a member. You can say that about discovering the what the heart is of your spouse that's left the church, or you know that's one of the reasons why you know Alan and I are still working together is because we know each other's heart, we love each other, and we're not allowing our our differences in religion to come come between us. And so that can, I think that advice is so perfect for anyone, anyone who's in this position, especially our listeners. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's, it's um, scary for me. I was very scared. A lot of the first few years here, this, you know, here was this guy that, I mean, I had dated the two boys in high school and I had one serious boyfriend in college for two years that didn't work out. And it really, really devastated me. And so I was always a long-term relationship kind of girl. Like I was looking for my partner and I really felt that I had found that in Brandon. And I, I mean, I guess there could have been somebody else out there, but I just, I don't know that thing people say when you know, you know, I, I kind of just knew, but then there was this big Mormon wall between us where I was like, okay, I know this is the guy for me, but I hope and pray I'm the girl for him. And I had to just be patient and it was painful. Um, and he didn't know a lot of that pain. He didn't know that I, you know, felt scared, but now he does. But yeah, I feel really lucky that it turned out the way it did. And I feel really grateful um, that we have such a special, open, understanding relationship. Um, but it took a while to get there. And luckily, Ellen and I were able to meet up with Anne and her husband when they were in town. And it was so lovely to finally 
see face to face, um, person I've been talking to for yes. a year, <laughs> but, um, also, um, you have such an like amazing, very incredible husband. And, um, you know, I, I just think that you have such a unique story and a unique outlook. I'm very, um, one of the things I love about you is you're very positive about the situation and there's a lot to be negative about in every situation, right? And in mixed faith marriage, you can be negative if you're dating, um, a non-Mormon or, um, you're married to one, uh, that it can be negative, but, um, I love the overall, oh, the overarching message that you bring that, you know, um, looking on, on each other's hearts is more important and having your mind open is, is more important than, um, the status of what they are. Right. Right. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, I'm, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Um, you know, I'm going to brag about Anne for a minute. Anne is a very extremely talented person. I'm sure you heard it, um, but she is very, a very talented music artist. And I really wanted her to pick a couple of songs that we could play um, on the outro of this. And, you know, she I've listened to her music before and um, she sent me a few of them and, and she's like, well, you know, what about this song or what about that song? And I, I love everything. But then she sent me two songs that are actually, I'll have her explain. And I'm not kidding. Like, I just bawled oh. listening to them because <laughs> I just felt the emotion. And for some reason, I just felt like it, they spoke um, so deeply to me, both of them. So um, I would love it if, um, one, you could tell people how they can find your music, how they can find you if they want to contact you. And then um, if you will introduce um, your both your songs. Absolutely. So my name is Ann Buckle, um, and I've released music as Ann Buckle in the past, so you can find that online. You can also find Ann Buckle Music on Instagram. But over the last three years, I've kind of had a stage name and a different artist persona that's called Wildwood, which comes from an old Carter family song, The Wildwood Flower. And it was kind of my departure from country music into more of a pop sound like an indie pop thing so you can find Ann Buckle or Wildwood on Spotify um Wildwood on Instagram is she is Wildwood and I'll be releasing a full record this fall under Wildwood with these songs actually so neither of these songs that we're going to play are um released yet they're what we call the work tape so as a songwriter in Nashville when you first write something you just get it down really quickly with guitar vocal or piano vocal and it's not perfect it's not got any tuning on it nothing's like final about it um so it's totally raw and we don't usually share these so you're welcome for sharing like my rawest music but um the first well actually I don't know the order you're going to play them but one song is called Firefly and this one I actually just wrote um about a month ago. So I actually had COVID in early July. Uh, just throw that bombshell out there. If anybody has questions about it, feel free to reach me. I'm happy to talk you through it. But um, I had COVID and I was locked up in my room for 14 days trying to get rid of this virus. And I had heard this um, story on NPR years before about fireflies that we call them lightning bugs in the South. They're like the little bugs that light up at night. If you've never seen one before, they're so magical. And I heard this story that they actually live for one to two years as larvae first, and then they become a firefly, and they only have 21 days to live, and then they die. 
So in that time, they fly around, they're so beautiful, but they're only here for such a short period. And it stuck with me. So after my COVID um, quarantine, <laughs> I was just feeling really grateful for my life and thankful to have my taste and smell back and thankful to sing again. And I wrote this song about the fireflies, kind of watching them outside and thinking about them. And so that's what Firefly is about. And then the second one is called Use Me Up. And I wrote this one a couple of years ago um, when I was creating and developing Three Chords, the refugee organization. Um, I just kind of wanted a song. Actually, I think it just poured out, but it, it's just my religious view. It's how I feel about um, how I feel about religion and life and love. So it's probably all that needs to be said about that one. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that Firefly, um, it spoke to me in a different, in, I mean, in your story, um, you, you only have a certain amount of time, right? And and that's what you mentioned in the song. And, and I thought so much about that is how much, what do I want to do with my time that I'm left here, however short or long it might be. And, um, and I, so I really love it because it, it's really good to um, think about those things. What's most important. And then the use me up song. I mean, I just lost it. I just think like, <laughs> Oh man, this is my religion. This is, this is absolutely what I would want to be playing at my funeral. Like, it is just so beautiful. I just loved it. Um, and so I just, I'm so grateful for you and the light and, um, the bright confidence you bring to, to, others' futures. I, I think this will be so helpful for so many people. And um, I'm just so grateful you were willing to do the do this interview with me. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be on and I've been so nervous to do this and hope that I can share the story in a meaningful way. And I throw it out to anybody listening. If you feel alone in my position and on either side, you know, if you're a member or a non-member and you want to talk, I'm so happy to. So just shoot me a message on Instagram or Facebook, find me Wildwood or Ann Buckle. I'm all over the place. So <laughs> you're welcome to reach out. I'm uh, like Katie, so happy, happy to, you know, just talk to people and hear their stories. So, um, and thanks, Katie, for hearing my story and becoming my friend. <laughs> oh, we were meant to be together. Like I said, most of the time we don't even talk about Mormonism. It's, it's no. just, it's friendship. I love it. All the things. We're all connected. That's the one thing that I have just, um, I have a, I, I guess you can call it testimony. That's a very cliche thing to say, but, you know, um, I, I feel like there is a connection between certain people and I, and I have felt very connected to Anne. Um, for the past year and so um, I hope you connected to this story and thank you for listening to Marriage on a Tightrope and we will be back soon Every June when the sun goes down the fireflies start dancing around they put on quite a show I wonder if They're only here for a couple of weeks And it makes me sad when they start to leave The best things are like that They tend to not last too long When you've only got 21 days You don't dare let one go to waste you take flight and you shine your light cause you know you don't
Suffering 
Because they don't have food to eat Well I can't feed them all But I can start with one or two Or three Use these hands Use these feet Use every little part of me I wanna be So use these hands, use these feet.